Welcome back to another episode of Theology Doesn't Suck. Uh, with you today is myself, Josh Patterson, and I'm not going to say something mean about my co-host today. I've repented of such things, so I have my amazingly wonderful co-host, my very intelligent, well-dressed, nice-hatted co-host, Marty Frederick. What's going on, Marty? <laughs> What's going on? You, Josh, you actually forgot the one most important thing that I usually ask you to say about me in um, I'm not going to be able to send the Venmo payment this time because you didn't do it. You're supposed to say handsome. Oh, dang it. My bad. <laughs> I really need that Venmo payment, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll send it anyway because oh, I do like you. Sweet. Um, I appreciate it. Well, Josh, you know, I wanted to ask you because it's coming up on that time of year right now. So maybe as you're listening, if you've listened, if you're listening to this like months after we recorded, this won't make a lot of sense to you. But um, <laughs> Josh, like it's it's about to be summer, like it's it's spring where i am but okay. it's basically summer it's like oh let me check my trusty apple watch it says it's 67 degrees outside um i know you're currently in south florida so it's just probably like 80s or 90s or whatever yeah it's hot uh, but like <laughs> what what are you gonna do this summer that's the remember when you used to sign yearbooks and you'd like write someone would write hags in there have yeah. a great summer yeah. Or like, what are you going to do this summer? Hit me up this summer, but they wouldn't give you their phone number. And you'd be like, dude, I don't know how to get in touch with you. <laughs> but like, what, what kind of things are you going to do this summer, Josh? Sure. Let me, I want to preface it real quick for the, the really edgy elementary school kids, or maybe into middle school that would sign my yearbook instead of writing hags, they would ha- write H A K A S, which means have a kick but summer have a kick-ass oh. summer yeah those that was the edgy uh, elementary school kids though that did that and, and hold on a minute but before you answer my summer question i also realized you probably were on there's facebook was probably a thing when you were in high school wasn't it high school yes so okay see for me i graduated in 2002 you're so old facebook <laughs> wasn't a thing i didn't have my own cell phone uh, my parents still had a landline. My parents still had dial-up internet. Wow. Um, I was a senior in high school, Josh. I think my parents still had a 288K modem. We didn't even have 56K, which was the <laughs> fastest of the time. And so when I, if I wanted to be – and we only had one phone line. So if I wanted to go on the internet to look something up, not even to go on Facebook or Instagram – I guess it was maybe MySpace at that point. But if I wanted to go on the Internet, I had to make sure that that number one, no one needed to make a phone call. And number two, no one was going to be calling our house because if someone <laughs> called, it would kick the, the Internet off and it would answer the phone. So I just want to point that out. Have a great summer without leaving your phone number. Probably didn't matter to you at all because you just go on your <laughs> iPhone and you find them. And then, OK, so anyway, but what are That's you going to do this summer? Uh, so <laughs> while I'm going to start off this summer. Uh, by moving. I know I've referenced this in the past, but Noel and I are moving uh, in th- like three days. So we're not going to be in, in West Palm anymore. Uh, by the time you hear this episode, I definitely for sure will be uh, well moved and getting settled in. We're moving back up uh, north, up back up to Maryland, where we're from, to be with our family, uh, with our friends. I took a job as a high school slash young adult pastor at a church in Maryland. So it's going to be really cool. Uh, we're excited. So we're starting off with that. And then there are a couple different weddings that I have to go to, or that I have, I have the privilege of going to, I should say. Uh, that'll be a lot go. of fun. Yeah, I, I have can. to. They keep inviting me and stuff. It's really <laughs> annoying. 
Um, so some, some friends getting married, that's really cool. Uh, some friends having babies, so there's like baby showers, that's cool. Um, and then also we go to the River House every year, uh, which Got is it. in Montrose, Virginia, um, which is like the northern neck of Virginia in the middle of nowhere. There's like no tourist. It's like a little fishing town. Just hang out for a week and do like nothing. It's pretty fantastic. You keep telling me about this river house, but you've never once invited me. Oh, I just want to point that out. To you. have, you've that... gone twice <laughs> since I've known you and you've never invited me. You have to take that up with Noah's grandmother, man. She's the one that runs the show on that. Right, call, Nanny. Call, call Nanny. I'm calling her right after this. She's right. going to hear it from me. <laughs> Nanny, if you're listening, I want I would appreciate an invite to the river house. And I'm not saying it in like I'm not I'm not declaring or yelling or or trying to force. I would just say I would really appreciate an invite to the river house. So. And you and that you would then turn down. You just want to have the invitation. Well, I do want the invitation, <laughs> but I don't know that I would turn it down. <laughs> All right, right on. What are you doing for the summer, Marty? Well, this summer, so um uh, I'm I'm going on a mission trip to Mexico in a few days here Sweet. Uh, with my with my church um, and uh, when I get back from that mission trip um, I am going to try and go see one of my favorite groups Hillsong United in concert um, and then my birthday is a few short days after that and then after my birthday um, just I'm going to be home for about a month but my band and I we've got a couple shows around the Chicago area. And then I'm going to be going on a mini tour through uh, like the Michigan, the West Michigan area um, and playing uh, a bunch of different places, a couple festivals. We're going to be playing a great festival. Uh, it's called the Mini Ha Ha Brew Ha Ha. <laughs> I have no idea what happens at this festival, but I'm guessing something along the lines of beer with the Brew Ha Ha aspects. But the Mini Ha Ha, that's the part I don't understand. So when I get there, uh, and we're the headlining band too. We're the oh, headlining wow. group. So, uh, cousin Curtis is the headlining group and I get to be a part of that, which is awesome. So that's very cool. I'm going to be mixed up with music and with birthday and mission. And then, uh, at some point in there, my church, every fall, every beginning of fall, sort of end of summer, will we do, uh, uh, what's called a ministry year kickoff where we essentially, uh, that's kind of where we, it's one of our big days. Joshua laugh at that. Um, <laughs> Uh, we we do, we do three a year. We do Christmas, Easter, and then uh, sort of the ministry year kickoff, where we kind of everything kind of restarts for the year, and we kind of get everyone back, like kind of refocus back into church for the fall. So sweet. That's what I got coming up. And to be clear, you're turning what, like twenty six, twenty seven? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I will be turning thirty five. Wow. So very good. So you're like you're exactly ten years older than me, pretty much. Yeah, right. And on. my wife, my wife just turned thirty um, on Wednesday this past week, so June fifth. And so here's the interesting thing about us: we're barely not five years apart. And so for really for exactly three weeks, she gets to say, "Ha ha, you're not five years older than me anymore," and she tries to <laughs> my face. But also like. The cool thing is our birthday is always on the same day. So uh, first is on Wednesday, mine's on a Wednesday. And so it's cool. Yeah. It's no. not cool to anybody else but me. But. <laughs> I dig it, dude. Well, you know what? I want to I give a shot at one of these things we call transitions, Marty. Uh, we've been having a conversation with one another. And uh, there's a book that we both read recently 
uh, called How the Body of Christ Talks, Recovering the Practice of Conversation in the Church. And it just so happens to be that the author of that book, C. Christopher Smith, is joined us today and is graciously waiting uh, to, to come on and, and say what's up. So how's it going, Chris? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for sharing your time with us. Uh, here at Theology Doesn't Suck, take, you know, taking time out of your day to talk with two random dudes who you've never met before. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's not where you had to put up with our banter, Chris. I mean, that's that's kind of like Josh and I have known each other for a while. And so that's like basic conversation for us. But like for some people, that's just like, oh, my gosh, would you guys stop? Like, <laughs> <laughs> just shut up. Yeah. yeah. No, sweet. Awesome. Well, um, anyway, let's so we'll go ahead and, and we'll jump in here. Um, so Chris, if you would, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, what you do, like, do you have a family, those kind of things? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, start with my family. I have a wife and three teenage kids. Um, and we live here in the Englewood neighborhood, a little, uh, neighborhood on the near East side of Indianapolis. Okay. And we are part of a church, uh, here called Englewood Christian Church, uh, which, um, is, has been a church here in our neighborhood. I think that's one of the striking things about it is that our ch- the church has been in the same location, uh, for over 120 years now. Wow. Um, so, um, and kind of has gone up and down with the neighborhood and now, uh, we are, we, we have a lot of what would feel like a traditional church, uh, setting, but there's also, uh, quite a few of us that try to uh, live intentionally together um, here in the neighborhood, uh, working together, uh, sharing life together uh, here here in this neighborhood. So, wow, so that's, yeah, that's a little bit of a background. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about Englewood as we go along. Yeah, for sure. So what, um, as far as like denominationally goes, what kind of church is Englewood? <laughs> it's a Christian church. Uh, the Christian church is if, for anyone that knows a little bit about church history, uh, the, our tradition is part of the Stone Campbell uh, tradition, okay. uh, kind of along with the non-instrumental churches of Christ and the disciples of Christ. Um, and we're kind of on the theological spectrum or the middle <laughs> stream of that okay. uh, tradition where the non-instrumental churches of Christ are very conservative uh, theologically and socially mostly. Um, and then the disciples of Christ are a lot more, um, progressive, uh, theologically and socially. So we're kind of right in the middle and our tradition is we're kind of, I'm intentionally avoiding the word denomination uh, because we are, we're not a denomination, uh, very intentionally. We're kind of a, a fellowship of autonomous, uh, congregations historically connected. Uh, so we don't have like central offices and central kind of doctrine. Uh, each congregation has the ability to uh, kind of discern those sorts of things on their own. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you. That's helpful. Um, and so we have, before we jump in uh, with your book and our, our conversation for today, uh, we have a question that we ask every guest that comes on the show. It's, sure. a, it's a super important question. Um, and we want you to give an answer, even if you feel like you don't have one. Sound good? <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. All right. So the super important question is, what is your favorite hockey team? Favorite hockey team? 
Well, um, I grew up in the D.C. area, so I'm going to have to say the Caps. Dude, um, awesome. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of people here. A lot of people in our congregation uh, have connections to the Pittsburgh area. So there's okay. a lot of Penguins fans here. And actually, my son is a pretty big uh, Penguins fan. Um, but uh, and I don't I'm not a huge uh, hockey fan, but uh, but the Caps are probably the closest uh, I would come to having a favorite team. Well, and you're so close to Chicago. <laughs> you're so close. You were so close. You were the one. Yeah, I thought you were going to be the one, Chris, when I read your book and I saw, okay, he's in Indianapolis. You know, they don't have their own team. So clearly it's going to be the Blackhawks. So I, I almost, I went into this as being a foregone conclusion. But uh, sorry. Sorry to let you down. No, but you, you gave the right answer because I love the Washington Capitals. So. And it's so funny because that I, I for sure thought too you would say the Blackhawks just for you, Marty. But I like it. I like his answer better. We'll go with Washington Capitals. One of these days, someone is going to be a Blackhawks fan and it's going to surprise you. They're going to say, well, you know, I'm from the D.C. area, so I really like the Black- Blackhawks. And I'd be like, yes! <laughs> we'll have a, some weird twist of events. We'll have Alex Ovechkin on the show and he'll say, oh, my favorite team is Chicago Blackhawk. And then, you know, it would be really good. <laughs> I'd be down with that just because it would bother you. <laughs> oh, yeah. He would never say that either. And, like, Caps fans will, like, crucify me or be harsh or something because I even suggested that might happen. It's heresy <laughs> in the hockey world. So we'll move on from that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, uh, Chris, you uh, recently came out with a book, uh, like, fairly recently. Um, called How the Body of Christ Talks, and it's under the name uh, C. Christopher Smith for our listeners. Uh, go check it out, look it up. Um, and it's called Recovering, the subtitle is Recovering the Practice of Conversation in the Church. And so when uh, Marty and I caught wind of your book prior to reading it, we're like, oh, wow, this, this guy seems really awesome. We should, uh, we should have him on, on the show because with uh, Theology Doesn't Suck, we're trying to do, it seems like, the kind of things you are speaking about here in your book, about having conversation with one another, um, you know, and, and specifically for us, having conversation uh, that involves people all over the theological spectrum. Um, like, I don't know if, if um, you had, had had a chance to look at any of the guests we've had on before, but we've had um, some, like, way conservative people on from, like, uh, Presbycast, which is like a super uh, reformed Presbyterian show. And we've had like just uh, last week or um, two weeks ago, maybe now, we had Thomas J. Ord on, who J. Thomas J. Ord's a process theologian. So we've had people from all over the spectrum on. We love having conversations with everybody. And so when we saw this, we got really excited and we were like, yes. And so we're very gracious. Uh, you know, thank you for writing the book and thank you for uh, your willingness to come in and chat with us. Um, and so I'll shut up now and ask you, what, uh, what exactly was the problem, so to speak, that you were trying to solve? What was the purpose uh, for writing your book? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, uh, it's, it's actually, believe it or not, a hard, hard question to answer sure. uh, because uh, I'm not one uh, to, uh, to focus on fixing problems. Mm, okay. Uh, I'd, I, a lot of uh, the work that I do is uh, kind of uh, focused on assets uh, and uh, how can we uh, appreciate uh, what we have uh, and how can we uh, help uh, 
help communities, churches and neighborhoods and places to flourish uh, on the basis of what's already going well. Mm. Um, so uh, so I, I tend not to uh, look for problems to fix. Uh, but, but what I really wanted to draw attention to here uh, was uh, – so an interesting part of our story, I guess maybe stepping back for a second, an interesting part of the story of our church uh, is that probably about 25 years ago, uh, we started having a conversation together on Sunday nights. Uh, we basically, what how we found our way into that was that like a lot of churches at that time, we had a Sunday evening worship service that was kind of a light version of the Sunday morning service. And it was pretty much dying off as it did that sort of service did in a lot of uh, churches of, in the early 1990s. Um, but we were weird uh, as a church and we didn't want to give up being together on Sunday nights. Uh, so somebody had the idea, well, well let's just circle up chairs uh, in one of our multipurpose rooms uh, and start to have a conversation together. Uh, and we very rapidly realized uh how we didn't know how to talk together. Um, and it was just a huge, just a huge mess. Uh, people were yelling at each other. I'm told, uh, some people left the church, uh, some people, uh, stayed part of the church, but kind of opted out of the, the Sunday night conversations. Um, so, so anyway, but we, we, out of sheer stubbornness or whatever else we continued week after week, after week, after week. Uh, and we continue even today, um, to have a weekly uh, conversation every Sunday. Uh, and it's really become the most important part of our life together. And actually along the way, um, so I had originally kind of written uh, a little ebook, probably in 2012, something like that, uh, that basically told our story uh, with the practice of conversation. But that was short. That was like maybe 50 pages or less. Um, but along the way, kind of uh, I published some other books and had the opportunity to travel around North America and actually found out there were a number of other churches that were had found their way in one one form or another into the practice of conversation uh, and really were uh, being transformed uh, by their capacity, increasing capacity to talk together. Um, and so I wanted to tell their stories and wanted to um, really offer uh, the practice of conversation in a similar uh, sort of trajectory as Dallas Willard or Richard Foster, maybe even particularly, uh, certainly, uh, I was very, uh, influenced by Foster's work, uh, celebration of discipline. Mm. Um, and in the, for those of you listening that may not be familiar with that book, the, the kind of the final part of that book, uh, is he offers spiritual disciplines that are corporate disciplines, disciplines uh, that a congregation might enter into together. Uh, and that would include worship uh, and guidance, um, discernment. Uh, uh, and so conversation, I think particularly, uh, I, I offer it as a practice that uh, churches enter into together. Uh, mm. But again, that's, I don't think that's the end of the story. Sure. I think that as we learn to talk together in our churches, then we are more capable of having conversations with our neighbors, in our homes, with our coworkers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All the sorts of um, social groups in which we find ourselves uh, will benefit from us learning to talk together uh, in, in our churches. Uh, that's certainly been our experience over the last 25 years here at Englewood, uh, and as well as the experience of many of the other churches uh, that are also uh, learning to talk together. So anyway, that's kind of what 
what I'm trying to do. And also this ended up being a little bit more practically oriented of a mm-hmm. book than some of the mm-hmm. books I previously written. Uh, I didn't actually set out uh, for it to be that way, but as I was kind of uh, visiting congregations and talking with folks about uh, the practice of conversation, a lot of people told, would tell me, uh, you don't have to convince us that we need to learn how to talk together, but what we really like is some guidance on how to do that. Mm, okay. uh, and so, uh, so really the fun- two fundamental questions uh, that the book asks are, one, how can churches initiate practices of conversation? Uh, and then uh, maybe even more importantly, how do congregations sustain practices of conversation uh, in the face of conflict, in the face of tedium, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of the the broad uh, scope of what I was trying to do uh, in the book. Yeah, sweet. I think it's, um, it seems super timely as well uh, because I'm sure (laughs) you have noticed uh, people within any realm of society can't really talk. Like we have seemed seemingly have forgotten how to converse with one another, at least in a way that is meaningful, respectful, uh, you know, things like that, like you were saying how people were yelling at each other and shouting <laughs> at each other. And it seems yeah. like anywhere you go, that's our conversation, whether it's politics, it's religion, it's, you know, what's your favorite hockey team? Like, you know, Marty, <laughs> all he does is make fun of me. Like, Josh, you're so dumb. Can't even talk to the guy. Um, so I think the the book is super timely as well. Yeah, I think I, I dodged your question earlier, but probably, I mean, if there is a problem. Uh, it is, well, there's a number of related problems and it's culturally, it's not just, uh, churches. Right. Uh, but, uh, but basically I refer to another sociologist have referred to this problem as fragmentation. Okay. Uh, a lot of the ways that our lives are, are have been fractured over the last 500 years. I, I want to be clear that, the problem of our not being able to talk well with each other uh, isn't a recent thing, but it's been something that uh, is a result, I think, of a number of different historical forces that have kind of been kind of um, building on top of each other uh, for the last 500 years uh, and eventually have kind of rendered us uh, in the situation that we find ourselves today. But, but fundamentally, the short the short version of that kind of history uh, is that a lot of our communities are breaking down the social groups um, that really uh, gave shape uh, to life uh, in previous generations um, have broken down over the last 50 or 100 years. Um, uh, and it's in those those communities where people in previous generations would learn to talk with one another uh, and learn to work through difficult situations and have hard conversations, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, as uh, those communities, and that's everything from sports leagues to um, Kiwanis groups uh, to um, – to churches, of course, as well, uh, but any type of social groups. Uh, there's been a lot of kind of sociological research uh, showing that a lot of these uh, uh, clubs and social groups are uh, and teams uh, are on the decline. Have been on the decline for at least fifty, maybe even as many as a hundred years. Uh, and um, one of the fruits of that decline then is, is our increasing uh, inability to, to talk together with others. Mm. Sure. Goodness. Sorry. I apologize for the dogs uh-huh. in the background. If you guys can hear them, <laughs> 
they're being I actually a work crazy. at a dog pound, and so uh, that's <laughs> your dog. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> Sweet, yeah. So this um, this like fragmentation, uh, I feel like uh, seems to be at least um, kind of taking a pretty negative hold, or has been taking a pretty negative hold uh, within the realm of the church, with you know the body of Christ as a whole. Um, I mean, even too, just if you go on, on Twitter and spend any amount of time on Twitter, like uh, Christians are the meanest people on Twitter and they're the meanest to each other. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, everybody who disagrees with you or has a different, you know, um, perspective or hang, like interacts with somebody who is oh, an outsider of the faith or whatever, like are they're attacked or, or shunned or whatever. I um, mean, so again, I think, uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, fragmentation is a huge issue. And so I think, uh, again, your book is extremely helpful in regards to that. And so we'll get to, I would like to talk some about, you know, some of the, the practical things, uh, that you were speaking of, uh, maybe, you know, have you share some stories, but before we go there, uh, you kind of start out, um, and you made a pretty interesting point about the Trinity. Um, and so I wanted to, to have you share some about that, the, the Trinity, and what does the Trinity have to do with this whole recovering conversations within the church bit? Yeah, I think that uh, conversation uh, is the sort of life uh, that we are, the abundant life, uh, to, to use uh, Jesus's phrase, um, that uh, we were, for which we were created uh, and I think it's the life that we see reflected in the persons of the Trinity uh, that um, that the, the Trinity theologians historically have said that the Trinity is both three persons, one one God, um, and uh, and those those persons exist basically in conversation uh, with with one another. Uh, and I think that uh, one of the things that was striking to me in doing the research for this book uh, is a number of different ways that the life of the Trinity is reflected in our human bodies. Um, certainly our human bodies, a, a human body uh, is a, uh, a unity of many diverse parts, uh, just as God is a unity of uh, three persons. Um, and, uh, and of course, the parts of our body uh, work together uh, in uh, in conversation uh, with one another. Certainly, a conversation uh, that's carried on through the nervous system. Uh, but there's also some emerging sciences that uh, look at conversations, as it were, that are unfolding at genetic and protein levels, um, which is really fascinating to me. Um, but. Uh, uh, but our bodies, they're sort of the economic uh, conversation of our bodies, which I also believe reflects the nature of the Trinity as well, that our resources flow uh, to the places where they're needed. Uh, if I cut my hand, the body's going to send uh, send white blood cells and other uh, resources to help that that cut heal uh, and to restore the body to, to health and stability. Uh, but... Uh, but that's not typically what happens uh, in mm-hmm. uh, economies out in the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. Resources. There's all sorts of nation states and geopolitical realities uh, that uh, prevent resources uh, from flowing to the places where they're needed. Uh, and we have uh, some places where people have uh, 
a lot more resources than they need in a lot and places where people die uh, from lack of clean drinking water or lack of food um, and resources don't flow. Uh, but that's not, that's not what I believe that uh, the way that God intends God's creation to be. Sure. Uh, God intends creation to be like the body uh, where resources flow um, to the places where they're needed. Uh, and, the fact that resources are able to flow uh, is a product of the parts of the body being able to talk with one another and to recognize that there's a need uh, and to be able to identify what exactly uh, what the resources are that need to uh, flow to those those places where they're needed. Uh, so, um, uh, so that's that's fundamentally. Uh, I think uh, the bo- the body, the image of the body, and certainly that's there in the title of the book. Uh, but mm-hmm. but the human body, the tangible reminder that we have uh, of the life uh, that uh, God intends uh, for us uh, in Christ, um, I think has a lot to teach us about uh, what it means to talk together and why why we need to uh, learn to talk together and what we could what we could achieve. Uh, I mean, I think of all the sorts of a skilled gymnast or a skilled piano player or guitarist or whatever, um, uh, the amazing things that bodies are able to do uh, when their members are able to uh, uh, to communicate uh, very well together. And certainly that take all of those things take practice. Uh, and again, we come back to the importance of, of having spaces, having communities in which uh, we are learning to practice conversation. Mm. Yeah, that's really great. And, um, and so, Chris, as you kind of get going in the book at the beginning, you kind of talk about learning the dynamics of conversation. And um, one of the things that I really appreciated about that is sort of like uh, like you you start off that chapter talking about babies and how they're cuddly, but like they have to learn to speak to each other. Um, can you can you give me some so I'll, I'll give you a brief history of where I'm coming from. Sure. Uh, the church that I currently work at, um, every Sunday after church, we do uh, we have a thing called C3, which stands for Christianity, Culture, and Conversation. Cool. And, um, yeah, it's great. And, uh, <laughs> so usually for about an hour after church, on Saturday afternoon, there will be uh, an, an email or an app update that's sent out that says, hey, so for tomorrow for C3, here's our topic of conversation. Come on out, and we're just going to we're just going to talk around this. And we have one of our pastors. Uh, our pastor of discipleship, which kind of he kind of mediates discussion, um, and it's a really great opportunity. And so, as I was kind of reading through the book a little bit, you kind of talked about sometimes you can't jump right into those really difficult topics right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I joined this church because I started working here, um, <laughs> and the first topic was you know pretty simple, straightforward topic. But now we the last couple of weeks the topics have been. Um, on um, the Sunday before Memorial Day, it was um, how to be a Christian and um, also be uh, someone that's a patriot, uh, or is it possible? Uh, then last week it was uh, uh, marijuana was just legalized in Illinois recreationally, and so we had a conversation around that. And then just yesterday, the conversation uh, being uh, Pride Month this month was around the topic of homosexuality um, and uh, seeing you know, of course, when it's something simple, you know, like one week we did something on, I think it was on fear and there was maybe 10 people there. Uh, but then the next week we did, um, 
you know, like for instance, Glaswick was marijuana. There was over 30 people there and they were very invested and interested in that conversation. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about, so I, I guess my question is this, I've come into this idea of conversation and love the way that the church is doing this year, but I joined in sort of after this cultivation of what it means to have a hard conversation looks like. Sure. Um, I came into that later. And so I'm kind of, you know, bridging my, my way in there. Sometimes someone says something that I don't agree with and I have to like, I have to figure out how to manage that in my, in my own self. Mm-hmm. Um, and be for one, I'm on staff, so I can't, you know, call somebody <laughs> out and, you know, if they make a statement that I don't agree with. I can't say you're an idiot. <laughs> uh, which anyway, you shouldn't do, but, but can you talk a little bit about maybe the process that maybe a church would want to go through, um, to get, away from, you know, and not, I guess get away is the wrong terminology, but how they can kind of graduate from a simple topic. Um, maybe they say, hey, this week we're going to get together and we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about first Peter. And that doesn't really have a lot of context, but someone comes with a few verses and you kind of have a conversation around that too. You know, hey, we're going to talk about this really difficult thing, uh, homosexuality. And, uh, you know, how how does a church move from the basics to a deep conversation like that that could really be contentious for some people? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh, directions I could go with that. Um, but uh, maybe just a couple of thoughts uh, from our own experience. Uh, certainly. I mean, one of the challenges uh, with. Uh, the practice of conversation uh, in the church setting uh, is to really to make a shift uh, from or the distinction between we have a group that talks together um, to conversation is something that we value as a whole church Um, because a lot of churches have small groups uh, which in some sense are, and again, it varies from church to church, of course, and even group to group, uh, of uh, how much how much value there is on conversation in those groups. Yeah. Uh, but but in many times, those groups don't necessarily cohere very well together, um, and may or may not contribute very much uh, to the life and the direction of the church as a whole. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so how do you, uh, I mean, again, in, in bigger churches, you may have to have smaller group conversations, uh, but, but how do those conversations work with the, the life and the direction of what the church is, uh, and not against it? <laughs> uh, yeah. and how can it, uh, can, how can they provide imagination? How can they provide, uh, or identify, uh, resources? I mean, particularly resources being people who are able to do certain things, uh, the, the sort of gifts that God has provided uh, in particular people uh, that might be needed for a new sort of initiative of, of the church, for instance, uh, or to do uh, an initiative that the church wants to do, but it may be struggling um, at the present time. Uh, so, uh, so, so those are, are some of the dynamics. Another one you kind of hit on, uh, and I think just from your own experience, I think it's really important. I don't spend a lot of time in the book addressing it, but it's something that 
uh, churches that are going to have regular practices of conversation um, really need to have ways of um, kind of on ramping, as it were, uh, new new people, uh, and particularly when uh, things are talked about in a certain way or certain terms are used um, that. Uh, might not be familiar to somebody coming in uh, from the outside um, or coming in as a new member or whatever. Um, uh, the, the, I mean, in our experience, oftentimes the form that that takes for us uh, very specifically here at Englewood is oftentimes uh, somebody will take the newer person aside after the conversation and say, hey, um, here's a little bit of background about kind of uh, where what we've talked about before uh, in this conversation, and this is how we use this particular term or, or, or how we've talked about it. Uh, oftentimes we don't have kind of a, a defined uh, sort of lexicon of, uh, of terms and what they mean, uh, but more so uh, we've had conversations about what, uh, what a term means. And we may be kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, Josh, about kind of theological diversity. We may kind of be all over the map, uh, but, uh, but we, we may have had a conversation and we may have, uh, at least, uh, maybe narrowed a bit of what, what a term might mean for us. Um, and to, to, to share that with, with newer people. Um, and maybe sometimes it may even require more than just a brief conversation afterwards. It may require going out for coffee, uh, during the week, um, and just kind of, uh, uh talking about, uh, some of those things. Uh, so, uh, so I think that's, uh, different churches will find different ways of, uh, acclimating, uh, new members, but I think it's a really important, uh, part of the process of learning to talk together. And just one more thing, I think, it's really important, um, I think, the the practice of a regular conversation. Again, regular may be once a month or it may be every other week or it may be weekly, whatever. Um, but but to continually have some regularity of, of conversation and, and hopefully um, encouragement that uh, people – the people who are involved should be regularly participating. I mean, obviously people have stuff that comes up with their families or take vacations yeah. or whatever. That's, that's completely understandable, but, but the ideal is uh, for, for regular participation and not just people picking a topic. Oh, I'm interested in that topic. Right. Uh, I'm going to come to that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rather that we're learning to talk together, even if it's something that we're not very familiar with or not very interested in um, that uh, it's important for us to to uh, hear hear the perspectives, especially of those that are very passionate about um, passionate uh, for or passionate against um, yeah. uh, uh, a particular topic, uh, and uh, that we might uh, learn learn from them and get to know them. I think one of the things uh, that's uh, the most beneficial of regular practices of conversation uh, is not that we uh, kind of settle difficult questions. Uh, but it's the relational capital that we build that we mm-hmm. we we come to know one another, uh, and in coming to know one another, then we're able to work better together, uh, just yeah. as our bodies, uh, as we practice 
playing the piano or practice um, throwing a football or whatever, um, the parts of our body uh, are able to kind of understand their limits better and are able to uh, to work better together uh, yeah. through the, the the conversations that happens in practicing a particular thing. Um, so so anyway, that's kind of a long winded answer. Hopefully, uh, there's some some helpful stuff in there to yeah. the questions you were asking. No, I think that's great, and you know, in, so as as you kind of talk about this on ramping idea, hmm. um, you kind of give a little bit in the beginning of your of the book. You kind of gave an example of a time where you guys had a conversation as a church that really did not work. Um, you know, the example of talking about like, you know, for instance, the, the, I think the question was, what is the gospel? Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> it becomes, you know, obviously there, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have a specific opinion about that. And uh, Josh and I were talking about that earlier today. Uh, what the gospel looks like is different for a lot of people. Um, but could you give uh, maybe another example, uh, maybe give an example of both, um, a time like, you know, maybe a, like a, share a, a quick story or something of a time where a conversation just did not work uh, and what that looked like. Um, and then maybe if like reconciliation was needed on one end of or, or both ends of conversation, but then maybe also give an example of a time where, man, the conversation was just super rich. And as people walked away, they felt fulfilled. They felt closer together. Uh, they just really felt like the body, like as you're talking about. Uh, was being edified and moving closer together. Can you kind of share an example of both of those? Yeah, um, I'll start with the latter one first. Uh, and I think that this kind of reinforces uh, the examples I give will probably reinforce what I was saying at the outset, uh, that uh, when we're trying to fix problems, um, uh, we only find more problems and usually <laughs> end up a lot more frustrated. Uh, but I think some of the most exciting conversations for us that we've had uh, have been ones about kind of imagining how we go, how we've gone forward, or how we might move forward, um, and, and really, uh, we. So one of the things I talk about um, in the early part of the book. Uh, so I have a chapter where I talk about three conversational techniques, uh, three t- conversational methods uh, that are helpful, especially for churches that um, are just wanting to get started. Um, or uh, have a particular thing that they know they need to talk about but don't know how to do that. Uh, but one of those uh, techniques I talk about there is called appreciative inquiry. Uh, and it kind of comes out of the business world, uh, organizational world. Uh, and basically it's focus. it challenges a group to look at their past uh, and say, hey, where have we been? What has gone really well for us? What are the best parts of of our history, uh, when when are the times that we felt like we're really alive, uh, really energized, uh, and then kind of draw upon those conversations about where we've been and what's really given us energy to kind of imagine, to, to allow that energy to guide us and drive us uh, as we imagine kind of where we're going as an organization, as a church. Um, and so we've had a number of these conversations uh, at Angle Wedge, uh, appreciative inquiry sorts of uh, – sometimes we very intentionally uh, use that framework. Other times uh, we've kind of adapted it more loosely. Uh, but some of the most um, uh, vital conversations that we've had um, have been uh, trying to imagine kind of how do we how do we move forward together? How do we um, – uh, 
imagine a way forward into something new that we believe God is calling us into. Uh, and so one of the one of the funny stories related to that, uh, and actually we ended up using one of the other uh, techniques that I talk about in that chapter, uh, but uh, there was a time uh, right after Hurricane Katrina in 2005 uh, that we were being told that there was going to be a lot of people kind of fl- coming up from, from the south, uh, just trying to get out of the the flooding and the devastation uh, left in the wake of that hurricane and that we were going to see a large um, uh, influx of uh, migrants uh, coming up from uh, Louisiana. Uh, And so we had some wonderful conversations um, about how do we, uh, how do we organize ourselves? How do we prepare for this? How can we really be hospitable uh, to those people that will be coming up here? How do we provide housing? Uh, short term, maybe long term. Uh, how are what kind of work might be available uh, for for some of these people coming up, and how do we uh, care care for the children that are might be coming up, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of different facets of that, uh, and it was just a really um, uh, wonderful, vibrant uh, sort of conversation as we were imagining together, kind of. Um, how we might be involved in it and kind of reflecting on some ways that we might have done some parts of this uh, in our past. Uh, but the funny part of the story then is that um, that nobody showed up, uh, that we had all these uh, great conversations, but just uh, that people weren't uh, migrating up quite as far as Indianapolis. Um, but uh, but anyway. Um, we were prepared. That's the, that's the Boy Scout motto. Yeah, that is yeah, the Boy Scout motto. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that some of our more, uh, intense conversations, uh, certainly, I think the one that you highlighted about what is the gospel, um, uh, is when, when people come to the conversation with a lot of really intensely held, uh, convictions, uh, that are very, very different, uh, from one another. Uh, and certainly, uh, I mean, we were and probably still are. We're more conflicted about the term evangelical now than we were uh, when we were starting our practices of conversation. But we were and we're definitely evangelicals at that point uh, early in our conversation. And because we're evangelicals, the uh, the notion of what is the go- the question of what is the gospel uh, is kind of right at the heart of our identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to try to have a conversation when you're not, don't have a lot of skill at that and people have really strong convictions about it and they're vastly different from one another um, certainly fuels um, a lot of the conflict. Um, and we probably, I mean, we lost, we lost members hmm. uh, as a result of that uh, and spent, spent a long time, even the, among the people that stayed, spent a long time uh, eventually uh, patching things up and um, and trying to uh, to move forward uh, even but again I think our experience reinforces what I was saying earlier though uh, that the important thing is not uh, that we kind of nail down what what the gospel is yeah. right. uh, but it's the sort of relational uh, skills that uh, it's actually the the patching up and the reconciliation uh, that's more important uh, than the the actually being able to uh, articulate with one voice uh, a specific and concise uh, definition of what what the gospel is. Uh, and certainly, 
most of the so we spent a lot of the first five years or so of our conversation just working through a number of different terms that that churches use. Uh, but that oftentimes uh, that aren't talked about very much, and oftentimes members of churches are kind of all over the map of what is salvation, what is scripture, and how do we read scripture, and what is the church, and what is the church for, um, what is the kingdom of God, uh, all of those sorts of things that are kind of good religious language, uh, but uh, people have wide-ranging understandings of them. Um, uh, and almost, I think very few of those uh, we kind of ended up with uh, very neat and uh, clear definitions of the terms that we're talking about. Uh, but what we were able to do uh, was to cultivate some trust with one another uh, mm. that uh, even when we didn't agree, uh, we we knew and we trusted one another. Uh, and that enabled us to uh, to work together in a lot of different ways. We started a number of different businesses over the years. Uh, certainly starting a business requires a certain amount of trust and absorption of risk. Um, and I don't know that we would have been able to do that if we hadn't had some of these difficult conversations together. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. So, so anyway, uh, yeah. So those are a couple, uh, couple of the stories, uh, in, in those veins. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, it seems again, I'm just to, to, you know, restate something that I said before, but it seems to me like one thing that uh, perhaps you guys do well is even when you have those, like I loved what you were saying about even when you have those disagreeing conversations where you can be like polarized, so to speak, uh, between one another, the reconciliation uh, and the patching up work afterwards is being really important. I think there's something beautiful about that. Um, and I think there's something beautiful too about the willingness to commune and recognize um, the diversity of the Christian faith um, and that there are different ways and different understandings that people have. People have different experiences, you know, um, that lend themselves to different kinds of understandings. And so I so, think by having these conversations, it opens us up to, to uh, be more receptive towards one another, um, you know, to be able to, you know, have build those relationships with people, even when we differ um, you know, in our theology, which then, uh, it seems to me that, uh, what's really cool about this concept of being able to have this conversation in the church is then the church can almost be like a, a training ground, so to speak, where we have these conversations. We learn how to speak to one another, uh, hopefully in a place that is, is, uh, safe and offers a lot of grace. And then, uh, hopefully, and then, <laughs> um, can then, you know, people, can go out from there and then apply those same, you know, habits, those, that same level of care and concern and, and willingness to, you know, commune with somebody, um, in their everyday lives and even the mundane, you know, things that we do outside of the church. And so it seems like it's just a, a really, uh, important thing overall that I think everybody, um, inside the church and outside the church, uh, could benefit from, uh, this idea of conversation healthy conversation. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that this is part of, of the witness that we ha can have as the church, um, part of the good news, part of, as I kind of pointed to earlier, um, that the life of conversation is at the heart of the abundant life into which we're invited in Jesus, the, the sort of life in which we are, uh, coming to, coming to know and be known. Um, 
is is part of the good news. I mean, we were created, I believe, in the image of God as uh, creatures that desire relationship, yeah. um, desire uh, to uh, to belong, are created to uh, created with this desire to belong, and and conversation is the process by which uh, we we move into that. Uh, and I think there's good work for us to do, uh, as we are learning to have conversations in the church. And I, I should be clear that it's not, um, we get to a certain point and we, we know how to talk together. Uh, <laughs> and, good, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then we can, and then we can take it out, uh, but, uh, to our neighbors, but, uh, but as we are learning to talk together in our churches, we are also inevitably, uh, having lots of other conversations, uh, and those conversations will benefit, uh, from the, the ways that we are learning to talk together in our churches. Um, and I, I think that is, uh, uh, really can be, could be really transformative, uh, witness of the church uh, in the 21st century uh, if our churches are to take conversation seriously. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Amen. Uh, well, I guess just uh, one more thing. Is there anything uh, that you are super excited about in, in your book that we didn't get to talk about or something that you would like to, to leave our, our listeners with um, as we wrap up our, our time here today? Yeah, the part of the book that I think is maybe the, its most unique uh, contribution and one of that I'm most excited about that we haven't really talked about is the middle part of the book, uh, which is basically I offer a spirituality of conversation, mm-hmm. uh, what tr- helping us to understand it's basically uh, some other practices uh, that are kind of a little bit tangential to uh, conversation, but that w- they will also help us uh, to talk better together. Um, and, uh, just for the sake of brevity, I will just name those, uh, but I encourage our readers to, to take a look at those. Cause I think that they're really important, uh, habits, uh, for us to learn, uh, culturally speaking. Uh, the first of those is prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by prayer, I mean, uh, that spe- specifically, uh, that, uh, when we talk, uh, together, uh, with, with other humans, uh, that God is present there with us. Uh, and that um, though we may be talking to another person, God is with us and God desires to to guide us in those conversations. And how do we be attentive uh, to the presence of God with us as well as the presence of the other person that's with us? Uh, and if, if God is present with us, then um, then we might not be so quick to uh, call that person a name <laughs> or, or – um, or to uh, really uh, bash uh, that person person pretty harshly, uh, especially if we're attentive to the reality that 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 is a person created in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, so that's a little bit. So prayer is the first of those. The second of those uh, is what I call learning to abide in messiness. Um, that uh, life, uh, all sorts of life. Uh, and uh, don't fit easily into kind of black and white molds how we want it to. We want yeah. things to be neat. Uh, almost consistently, uh, a life uh, refuses to kind of fit into those sort of neat molds. Uh, and we have to learn to to live patiently with that. I love one of the things, one of the resources that I drew upon uh, for that chapter was Henry Nouwen's uh, work Um uh, particularly in a book called Compassion that he wrote with a co-wrote with a couple of other authors. Um, but he says patience basically uh, is learning to live in the tension uh, of 
particularly uh, he talks about the tension that we experience in so many situations between fight and flight uh, and patience is learning to live in the tension between those two. And I think mm. that that sort of, uh, uh, of skill, uh, that sort of habit uh, can be really beneficial for us in conversation um, as we learn to, uh, to be patient and to listen to others. And even if we don't understand or it doesn't make sense to us, um, I think uh, learning to uh, to abide in that that sort of messiness, and I use messiness intentionally uh, as a broad category that includes sin, certainly um, uh, social, personal, and social sin, uh, but also just simply our finiteness as human beings. Mm-hmm, uh, we can never mm-hmm. completely step into another person's shoes, another person's experience, uh, and so we're limited by that. Um, and we have to we have to talk together. Uh, we have to. Um, I mean, we can't uh, fully understand where somebody else is coming from and why uh, why they might think something that they, they do. And then the third of those uh, uh, practices in that middle part of the book uh, is on preparation. Uh, and we live in a consumer society. Uh, there's so many ways that consumerism affects our experience of church. I was thinking of this earlier when we were talking about kind of people – uh, choosing particular conversations uh, that they want to participate in. Um, uh, and kind of the consumer mentality is driven by the question, uh, what's in it for me or what can I right. get out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think the practice of preparation is really important. It's certainly been very important for us at Englewood uh, because it turns that that fundamental consumer question on its head. Mm-hmm. Instead of asking what's in it for me, it asks, what can I bring to the conversation? How can I prepare myself uh, to have something significant to offer in the conversation uh, yeah. in the ways that I uh, prepare in ways that I love and I'm passionate about. Uh, so for some people that might be reading something and reflecting on it, or some people that might be uh, listening to a song or a podcast um, uh, and, uh, uh, and finding something relevant in that uh relevant to the conversation that we're going to have. Um, so, uh, so how can we be prepared, uh, to, to have conversations together? I think our conversations, uh, will be much more fruitful. Um, if we all have the mentality of, uh, we want to, uh, come with, with something to share, Mm -hmm. uh, something Mm -hmm. to to offer, to contribute uh, to this collective work of conversation that we're doing. And that's in essence, the sort of the vision of worship that Paul offers in first Corinthians 14. Oh, sure. Um, uh, is a very participative. Uh, it's not the sort of uh, the pastor and the worship band are up on stage and they're giving us something, uh, <laughs> but it's rather yeah. uh, a congregation as a whole uh, participating together, preparing, coming prepared, and sharing together out of of that preparation. So anyway, that's yeah. the middle part of the book. I I, I think it's really important. Uh, it's, and those sorts of things are not uh, things that are talked about a lot sure. um, when we talk about conversation. I think they will immensely. Uh, enhance our capacity for conversation if we pay attention to them. Yeah, for sure. You, there's two uh, really nice quotes. If you don't mind, well, it's not against like copyright laws to read a quote oh, no. in a book, right? Okay, no, fair use <laughs> falls under the fair use. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So in your in your bit about messiness, uh, you said yes. As a result of sin, trauma, and our uh, finitude, conversation will be extraordinarily messy. And yet, apart from communities in conversation, we plunge deeper into the abyss of isolation and nihilism. And so I really think uh, there you hit the nail on the head, because if we uh, aren't willing to live, you know, in the tension of that messiness, if we 
uh, aren't willing to have conversations and we, you know, remain inward focused, then of course, the only thing we're going to do is become more isolated and more nihilistic and things are, are going to just keep seeming darker and darker and darker. Um, and so I really like that. I appreciate that in the middle section there. And then, um, you wrapped up, uh, in the, the end of your section about preparation He said, especially when given uh, the prevalence of individualism and consumerism in Western society, we will need this sort of intentionality as we train new members to participate in and not just consume the fruits of our life together in the local church. And so I think that's just that participative um, attitude and mindset uh, that you create, I think really is a more true uh, and honest uh, vision of the body of Christ um, just like how you use the, the metaphor of a body throughout the entire book of, of coming together, working together uh, constantly in order to, you know, I guess bring about a, a common task or um, in this case, you know, bring about the kingdom of God or whatever language you might want to put to it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really appreciated both of uh, both of those sections as well. Yeah. And I, I the part I appreciated as uh, is, is you talked about prayer um you know, at the beginning of one of the sections, you say, if, if we take our times of conversations as times of prayer, we would do well to start in silence. In a world like ours, drunk with noise, silence is an immense challenge. Uh, and uh, that's just, just so true. I mean, you, you think about like if, if you're if you've ever gone out with someone for a cup of coffee and tried to have a conversation, um, some people cannot handle a moment of silence in conversation uh, I remember in college, there was a, a guy that I used to get coffee with a lot, and he was one of those people that would choose his words very carefully. And so sometimes he would be he would, would begin speaking, and then he would stop, and it would be for just long enough that you thought maybe he's done, but then you'd <laughs> begin to speak again, and then you would find out, no, he's not done. He's just purposely choosing his words, or you would ask a question, and it'd be over the phone, for instance. You'd ask a question, and there would be silence. There wouldn't be. Uh, oh, that's really interesting. That's a really interesting question. I want to think about that for a minute. Uh, no, it was dead silence for ten, sometimes fifteen seconds. But then he'd come with an answer, and you just learned that when you communicated with him, that was what you were going to get. But you knew that when he said what he was going to say, it was going to be that way. It was a very awkward uh, means of communication at first. But then it began it, – it taught me a lot about what silence can bring to conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, we as Americans specifically feel the, like the need to clear the air. But we, we got to say something right away. Otherwise, you know, well, what's going to happen? If no one's talking, it's awkward and I don't like awkward and uh, I can't handle that. And so I better just say something. And I think that is where the practice of saying things like um, or <laughs> like this or like that. We use filler words because we don't like silence. And so I really appreciated that uh, just in the beginning of that part of the conversation as well. So, Yeah, definitely we're averse to, to silence. I mean, I know many people that just leave their TVs on or yeah. uh, hmm. something something playing on speakers uh, just because they don't want to be, be – in, even if they're just in their house by themselves, they don't want to <laughs> – yeah. to be surrounded by silence or people that can't study unless they're at a busy coffee shop or something <laughs> like that. You know, yeah. you know, and like some people like they need silence around them when they're, when they're studying or reading. Uh, and that, you know, if, if you need silence, complete silence, when you're reading a book, there's something to be said about your, in my opinion, your, your level of attention, <laughs> like uh-huh. how much attention you can give to something 
you know, I mean, and especially with listening to Jesus, uh, when you're in prayer, uh, sometimes it's not going to be silent. And hmm. sometimes you're going to have to listen very carefully and you're going to have to listen for a long time. Uh, and you're going to have to, I think that's the the part of the, of your book that I really appreciated that I think it's just kind of an underlying tone is when we're in conversation, for instance, with Christ, sometimes a lot of what we need to be doing is listening to what he has to say. And that's the part of conversation that I think we miss often when it comes to conversation with God. I know that's not the direct, you know, point sure, no. we're writing about, but, but I think it still is a, a fair point to make. So, yeah, I think it's, the, the wisdom of the Apostle James of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Yeah. I think there's a lot for us uh, to to learn in conversation uh, from from just that little uh, little adage. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think if we would just just commit ourselves to uh, take that seriously, I think our conversations would uh, uh, go a lot deeper. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Chris, thank you so much again uh, for this. Oh, my book. pleasure. Yeah, for the you know the time and energy and effort you took uh, to putting this together. Thank you for sharing you know the experiences of uh, you know of yourself and and Englewood and and the church and the conversations that you have had. Um, for our listeners, uh, go to Amazon right now, unless you're driving. And uh, <laughs> grab a copy of uh, How the Body of Christ Talks, Recovering the Practice of Conversation in the Church by C. Christopher Smith. And also, Chris, where else can people find you? A website or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I have a website, uh, c-christopher-smith.com. Okay. Um, so, uh, yep, that's the best way to – and there's links to me there on social media. I'm on Twitter and uh, Facebook. Uh, so folks can connect with me there and uh, there's information about speaking events uh, and uh, other things I'm working on. Sweet. Great. Awesome. Yeah, also too – so we'll be sure to put uh, your website in the show notes. Um, I'm going to put uh, the, a link to this book and also uh, just because um, – I think it'd be super worth people's time as well. Though a link to another one of your books that we did not talk about today called Slow Church. Um, yeah, it's very very relevant. This book is some in some senses a follow up, a little bit more mm-hmm. practical. Yeah, uh, that one kind of uh, casts a vision of what uh, the church uh, could become um, and why why church matters. Um, but this one kind of uh, kind of is a little bit more the nuts and bolts of how we how we start to move into. Uh, that sort of bigger picture that we paint in that book. Um, so, and also one other thing, maybe I should mention. You can maybe put a link to this if you want to. Um, sure. Kind of my day job is uh, we have a magazine uh, that I edit called the Englewood Review of Books, mm-hmm. uh, and we we review a wide range of books. Uh, certainly, out of our appreciation for diversity of voices, um, uh, fiction books, nonfiction books, poetry, more academic books, less academic books. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but almost all of our readers are from some part of the Christian tradition. Um, and, uh, the books that we offer, we think are ones that will help, uh, people at least might be helpful to some, some people in Christian traditions, uh, to, uh, live uh, more faithfully, uh, in their, uh, local churches and local places. Um, so, uh, Englewood Review, E-N-G-L-E, woodreview.org, uh, is the, the website for that. So some listeners may be, uh, interested in, in checking that out as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, uh, if I remember correctly, Walter Brueggemann is a fan. Is that correct? He is. He's actually a subscriber, has been yeah. a long, <laughs> a long time subscriber, uh, of, 
uh, of their review and has been very kind to us. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They're, that's a name drop. Boom, Walter Boom. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, thank you again so much, uh, Chris, for your time. Um, oh, my pleasure. And for your, for your work. And also, listeners, um, f- oh, my goodness, lost my train of thought, Marty. I'm so terrible at this wrapping stuff up bit. Like, just bad at it. I should just, we should just end the episode now. One, two, three, done. <laughs> well, if you, you can find us uh, on, online at theologydoesn'tsuck.com. Uh, if you want to contact us, if you have any complaints about Marty, uh, you can go onto our contact page and, you know, fill out mean things about him there. Uh, only nice things about me, please. Uh, we're on Instagram and Twitter as well, uh, at Theology Doesn't Suck. And then we are on Facebook. We have a discussion group. Uh, if you would like to have more conversations haha, about the things that we are uh, conversing about here on Theology Doesn't Suck, please uh, feel free to find Theology Doesn't Suck discussion group on Facebook. Uh, there's a question there for you to answer. Uh, Marty or I will add you to the group and then we'll go from there. So again, thank you for listening and go Caps! Go Blackhawks! Blackhawks! <laughs>